Welcome to the Aspieland Podcast. I'm your host, John Allen. Come with me on an adventure into the world of Asperger's Syndrome, also called Autism Spectrum Disorder. Everyone is welcome here, whether you have the disorder or you're interested in learning more about it. We're here to help you understand, share, and relate. We're just about to get started, so come on in. Greetings and welcome once again to Aspieland. My name is John Allen, your host. And I'm joined this visit by my lovely wife, Kathy. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here once again. And we're happy to have you with us, whether you're someone with Asperger's syndrome, autism spectrum disorder, or you're a neurotypical. You're all very welcome and accepted here. Now, if you're new to this podcast and you're an Aspie, well, you'll find this is a great place to learn about yourself, your feelings, and ways to discover joy in your life. And if you're a neurotypical... We haven't left you out. This is a place where you can learn about life as a person on the spectrum. The idea is to come together, both those of us on the spectrum and the neurotypical as well. And we need to learn to come to accept one another. And we do that by looking at life through each other's eyes. We have a really interesting podcast for you today. But before we get going, let me thank each and every one of you for listening and subscribing on the webpage, and leaving really neat messages for us about the podcast, and just being great listeners. We've been heard in over 50 countries, and I'm so grateful for both our Aspie and neurotypical friends that we've encountered. Thanks as well to those of you who have donated to the podcast. Your support is a real encouragement to us. We're very grateful to all of you. Okay. We've got a really special podcast. I'll let my wife start it out. We do. I am so excited. So we have a returning guest today. We have Carrie Donnell. And Carrie and Michael and their son Dylan were on early podcast. Carrie and Michael were in season one, podcast seven and eight, called Game Changer, part one and part two. Dylan, their son, was on season one, podcast nine, called Up on the Tight Wire. So John and I had mentioned on a podcast about resources, and we were talking about how this one particular resource talked about the challenges that persons on the spectrum have when interacting with the medical community because of misinformation and misunderstanding. And I would like to take a moment right now and thank any persons who have autism spectrum disorder or Asperger syndrome who work in the medical capacity. It's a very, very difficult and pressured-filled position, and we want to thank you for all the work you do every day. What brings us here today was a conversation we actually had with Carrie at a church fellowship setting. John had shared an advocacy situation he was looking into. Well, Carrie shared with John and I about her advocacy for her son, Dylan, and how it progressed to an educational opportunity for medical staff at the hospital where she worked. She brought up some very helpful experiences and insights that she graciously and willingly agreed to share with us and our listeners. Our hope is to shed light on accommodations that might benefit patients, clients on the spectrum. So we thank you for being here, Carrie. Thank you for having me. We're going to have her have a chat about uh, what her experiences were like. I did want to say on the onset that Carrie had mentioned she's not an expert. I'm an expert in my son. Exactly. 
Exactly. Okay. And I know there are lots of parents out there who would say yes. 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 They, yes, you are living it in real time. And so you have a lot of wealth of experience. So that makes you an expert in that way. And yes. Since autism is an umbrella, yes. you know, anything that I say, was, it will be specific to my son and the help that we could get him. And that's one of the things that I said in my education to the staff is this is just from a mom's perspective. You know, this is how you guys can help when you see somebody. It's just kind of like a brief glimpse of maybe giving them an idea of mm -hmm. what it could look like to have a patient with autism. So can you give us just a brief little update into your family and Dylan and any current updates that you'd want to share? So we are a family of five, my husband and I. Dylan is our oldest. He's 17. He was diagnosed with autism when he was two. Okay. So we caught it pretty early. Mm -hmm. And then we have our two girls, Allie and Lily. I think Allie is, this is horrible. No, She's it's 11. Lily's nine. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Isn't that horrible? I'm like, no. oh, I don't know how old I am, much less anyone I don't else, either. So. I can tell you the general age, but I can't tell you that last number because yeah, I forget. I know. I know. It's bit, we're busy. Okay. <laughs> we got a lot on our minds. Okay. <laughs> so was, was Dylan's diagnosis his first experience with the medical community or was there another one? That was his first. I mean, we'd gone to the pediatrician, obviously, yes. for all of his checkups. Mm -hmm. um, Michael and I had questions about his hearing okay the kid could loved bath time mm -hmm. could hear bath water running from across the house but we could literally stand at his door and say dylan dylan mm -hmm. and we found ourselves like yelling at him because he'd mm -hmm. never turn around and mm -hmm. look at us mm -hmm. and so at one of his pediatrician appointments i said he can hear like if a veggie tail start playing from yes. across the house bath water running but he won't turn around when we call his name. And the doctor said, well, let's check his hearing. So at that age, I don't know if anybody's ever been to a child's hearing screening. It's kind of funny. They sat him in a high chair mm -hmm. and somebody sat right in front of him. And mm -hmm. we were in this like, there was nothing in this room except for a TV on the left side and a TV on the right side. Mm -hmm. And they would throw up like Elmo or Blue's Clues voice to a side of the room. Mm -hmm. And the whole purpose was for the kid to hear the sound and mm -hmm. look mm -hmm. in whatever yep. direction. But the hardest thing for them to get Dylan to do, because you have to start with the child looking right at you. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. For them to say, yes, he definitely turned his head to the right when mm -hmm. we threw the voice, you know, to that side. And so they could not get Dylan to look at them. And mm -hmm. they tried bubbles. I mean, they were trying everything to get him to make that eye contact yes. with them. Yeah. And he couldn't. And so they were like, well, you know, from this point, we have to do like a sedated ABR test oh, wow. for him, you know, to check his hearing. Mm -hmm. And the lady that was working with Dylan said, have you ever thought about him being on the spectrum? And I was like, what, what in the world is that? Mm -hmm. You know, no. She was like, well, one mm -hmm. of the things is eye contact. And so... That kind of got the idea flowing. Ah, okay. So then we mm -hmm. went through a sedated ABR. Um, the pediatrician got the report, and he thought about a couple of things, you know, saying, well, on this pre-screener, you know, you mark this and this. And then as we discussed, he was like, okay, I can see that question maybe was not very precise in what we were looking for. 
You know, he goes, I can see yeah. why you marked the answer. But whatever those two questions were, would have indicated that we had concern about Dylan, mm-hmm. you know, for autism. Mm-hmm. And so he said, Carrie, I just feel like you just need to research autism spectrum disorders, mm-hmm. see if there's an area where Dylan lines up, where he doesn't line up, mm-hmm. you know, and then we'll, we'll do the test and then mm-hmm. you can kind of get a feeling for what this is. Yes. And I said, okay. So I researched and let me tell you, because it's a spectrum, mm-hmm. you have all these things, you know, little things that can go under different categories. Yes. And so I remember he saw me at work one day. I worked at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital mm-hmm. and he saw me and he goes, so did you, have you done your research? And I said, oh yeah. I said, but here's the deal. I feel like he could have this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, I can guarantee he doesn't have fragile X. Mm-hmm. But that was one of right. the diagnosis that, and he said, and I said, I said this because of this and this. And he said, okay. And so then with each one, I was able to say, I see this in him. And he goes, this is why it's an umbrella, you um, know, because yes. things, you mm-hmm. know, can look the same. And so that kind of got our, got us started. And then we went through all the testing process and everything like that. Right, right. And you shared a lot of amazing stories in the podcast that we had, John, previously. So that was awesome. So as you were navigating his diagnosis and the maybe the medical community that this was bringing you in contact with, were there some speed bumps that you were running into with communication with the medical staff? One instance that comes to mind, I think what you're asking is Dylan had, we had to take him to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And I don't mm-hmm. specifically remember like why we went. I know that he had like 103 mm-hmm. fever, mm-hmm. which for most kids, they're lethargic. Yes. They're just like limp laying mm-hmm. around. It's very scary. For Dylan, he was jumping. He was playing. Oh. He was, he did not, you would not have been able to tell he had 103 fever. Mm-hmm. So when we went into the triage for them to take his temp, blood pressure, weight, and all that stuff, um, they took his temperature and the nurse sat up straight and looked at me. She goes, his fever is 103. And I'm like, right, that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. And she was like, but he's he's not acting like he has 103 fever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, right, welcome to autism. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't show the typical, you know, like lethargic mm-hmm. type of, mm-hmm. when he was lethargic, like if he ever became lethargic, we were super worried about mm-hmm. him because he just didn't have that he normal response. To he didn't fever. have a neurotypical response to the fever. Right. To- and he was playing and, like I said, like being himself, jumping, mm-hmm. st- you know, stemming with his hands. And mm-hmm. you never would have known he had a fever unless you touched him because he was, A, hot to touch. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when you took his temperature, mm-hmm. you saw how high it was. Mm-hmm. So that was our first indicator that, huh, I yeah. wonder if there's... Some other things that uh, could, right. could cause some confusion or, right. you know. Let me ask a quick question. What made you decide that you needed to talk to the medical community and teach them, as it were? Was it a particular event or just something that came to mind or somebody approached you or how did that work? So being, I was a receptionist in the pediatric ICU and in the way Vanderbilt works, we had nurse educators Mm -hmm. there that would educate parents and staff and I remember having a conversation. There wasn't one event that sent me to say, hey, we need to, mm-hmm. you know, educate about this. Like a certain 
experience with Dylan. But just having gone to the emergency room a few times, Mm -hmm. you know, I felt close enough with some of these nurse educators to say, is there anything, any sort of education for, you know, our nurses and our care partners coming in who, you know, about people with autism? I said, because at that time it was like one in one in 50 something kids were diagnosed with autism at that point. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like, if you look at our general population, I mean, we're a children's hospital. Right. What's the likelihood that we have autistic children in here that were not being able to like help appropriately Mm -hmm. or as the staff getting frustrated because they don't know Mm -hmm. what is wrong with this kid? So there were multiple things that got my wheels moving. Mm -hmm. And so then I talked with the nurse educator and I said, you know, is there a way that we can get this done? And she was Mm -hmm. like, why don't you put something together? And I was (laughs) like, I'm a mom. (laughs) I mean, I, I, she was like, right. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just a mom. Like, (laughs) I don't have a degree in this. Mm -hmm. Like I am. And like I've said, I'm the expert in Dylan. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you other kids. Right. And so she was like, Carrie, put something together. So I did, and they had kind of an, the first time I did it was one evening, and I had to do it twice, and I had one person in each class. Mm -hmm. Somebody from our our unit, one, the nurse educator that encouraged me to do it, she came to the first one. Mm -hmm. And then a nursing friend of mine was in the other one, and they both were like, this is great. Well, the -hmm. nurse educator then said, hey, I think this, like, you know, I think Carrie has some good things to offer for new staff coming in. And I think it's important. And I think it's, you know, something that they need to hear just for like a little bit of understanding. Yes. So that's how that got started. All right. I know um, working in the medical community, there's lots of pressure to be in a hurry. So sometimes anything that comes across is, oh, oh no, you know, it's a difficulty or it may be, they may be under a lot of time pressure where it's like, oh dear, this is difficult and we're having a hard time trying to keep the flow of what's expected of us in that setting. And um, A story that comes to mind when you said that when I started this information for the new people for care partners and Mm -hmm. nurses coming in that was one of the things I said some kids you cannot rush into the room Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and be in a time crunch like some kids you're gonna have to take the time Mm -hmm. to sit with them and either explain to them what's going on or you know help them in some sort of way if you're thinking about I have to get out here that's not going to benefit you if you're in a rush with this patient. Yes. Um, because it can make them more frustrated. Yes. And then they're not going to be willing to take, like if it, if they're taking meds, they're not going to be willing to take those meds because then they're frustrated and then you're frustrated. And, mm-hmm. you know, it all comes to understanding that this patient I need a few extra minutes with. Right. You know, right. and to walk in calm into the situation yes. and, you know, however that may look. Mm-hmm. Um no, that's neat that you can get that kind of information out so well. Well, that doesn't mean that I didn't have obstacles in the way. Mm-hmm. Like I remember one of, because I worked in the pediatric ICU, most of our patients had breathing tubes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember asking one of the doctors a question and he goes, he was just like, Carrie, why do I care? He goes, most of our patients are intubated. Why does it matter if they have autism? And I was like, 
Well, it might, depending on mm-hmm. what they act like when they come out of, right? you know, like mm-hmm. all these drugs and stuff that you're using to keep them sedated and paralyzed. And so, so that's not to say that there wasn't some frustration, yes. you know, coming with even doctors not knowing or thinking mm-hmm. that it applied to them. So, right, right. I can, I can see that. Yes. I worked in an office that uh, we had a large underserved community that we took care of. And I remember as a medical provider, we had really no, it might have been mentioned somewhere in a book, somewhere in a paragraph. But when you're in living and working and unless you're kind of have some focus and intention about knowing um, how to be helpful to all your client populations, patient populations, you just don't get that resource. And I had a family come in and we, because of our situation, oftentimes we had, uh, it was difficult for families to come in and get help. And we did have a family come in that had two children on the spectrum. And I can say I knew zero uh, to what to do. But in that setting, I ended up in order for us to be able to do vitals, I sang to them and it just, it helped. And that Mm -hmm. was important. And the mother had said something to me, they do enjoy singing. And so that's what we did. But I had no key into stimulation, you know, how the lights in our room might be affecting. I, that was, I didn't even address any of that. So I'm sure that's probably some of the stuff that maybe you talked about with, with the staff. Right. One of the things I went through a slideshow of pictures mm-hmm. of, of family members. I mean, I had permission mm-hmm. to use their pictures, but I went through a slideshow of pictures and I said, okay, which child in the pictures have has autism? There's only one. And they would all just kind of like look at me. And I'm like, that's the point. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. not going to be able to look at somebody and say, they're autistic. Right, you know? right. Now, maybe once you start interacting with them, Mm -hmm. then like some of those social awkwardies and things that I know Dylan has, those will come out um, and you can definitely, you know, then, you know, maybe he is, you know, you can Mm -hmm. start to question, Mm -hmm. but to be able just to look and say, yep, they have it, you, you can't. Right, right. So it looks like we're running out of time already, and we're not quite finished with what our discussion is. So we could you be able to come back, Carrie? Yes, ma'am. Oh, wonderful. Yay. That'd be good. We can learn a lot more stuff. That would be really good. All right. It would be. Yes, it would be. <laughs> I've said that. You are. You're. <laughs> Please, if you have a chance, get on the website, aspieland.org. And get to the subscription page, which is a real cool page. You can just get there, fill out this little form. It takes maybe a minute. And then you'll be all set up to get emails every time there's a new podcast coming up. Also, if you get a chance, please donate to the podcast if you would. We'd like to keep this thing going as long as we can because it's doing something really great for some really wonderful people. So we'll be back again with Carrie. That'll be on the next visit. And so stay safe and we'll see you next time in Aspieland. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Aspieland podcast. If you like this podcast, pass the word. This podcast is for everyone, whether you have Asperger's syndrome or not. 
because the more who listen, the better our opportunity to become more sensitive and compassionate, not only to those who have the disorder, but to all humankind as well. Thanks for visiting, and I hope you'll listen again.